Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Grab them. Let's go to Acts chapter 11, shall we? All right, Acts chapter 11, as you turn in there, um, I'd like to go ahead and thank Pastor Al for filling in for me last week. Thank you, thank you, brother. Um, appreciate that. Also, I uh, want to go ahead and encourage you next week. Next week's a very important uh, day in the life of our church. It's a two-part day. Uh, in the Sunday school hour, everyone's welcome, whether you attend Sunday morning small groups or Sunday school, whatever you want to call it or not. It's really just a, a day to talk about the post-COVID church, where our church is after COVID, and, and uh, you know where we're going, where we see ourselves going. We, we'll have statistics about the church, kind of like the one I shared two weeks ago, uh, about the percentages in our church and uh, our ages and, and service areas and, and just how to be more involved as the body of Christ. And all of that's going to lead towards us talking about the great responsibility we have to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. And so I, I want to encourage you to be here. And if that's not enough to get you here, you know, before summer gets here and we're all scattered and here and there and vacations and lazy lake days. Yeah, I know. You know, those types of things. What I want to do is, is have us all get here. And uh, if, if, if that doesn't encourage you, let me just say it this way. Coffee donuts as you walk in. I mean, it's been a long time. We'll make sure to have those all spaced out. It'll, it'll still be safe for you. Uh, coffee and donuts. And then uh, it'll be graduation Sunday. So I'll get to cry, you know, because my son's graduating and uh, from high school. So I'll be tearing up with, with some of you other parents. And uh, we're uh, going to celebrate next week with baptism. So uh, another baptism in our church family. So how wonderful is that? So I'm excited about that. Uh, Acts chapter 11, as we get into this, this section, um, we, we do kind of see uh, the church that emulates Christ. So a Christian church emulates Christ. Now, I'm a child of the 80s. Some of you know that. And there was a VHS. Some of you don't even know what VHS is. But I had a VHS tape that I would watch quite often. And it was Michael Jordan's Come Fly With Me, right? Yeah, and man, I love documentaries from day one, right? So I was watching Michael Jordan Come Fly With Me. I would watch that. Then I would get my mom's exercise trampoline, and I would drag it outside. And then I would try to be Michael Jordan. I'd stick my tongue out, and I'd dribble, and I'd do all those things. And I still, still couldn't dunk the ball. But, you know, I wanted to be like Mike. And, in fact, in 1991, there was a Gatorade commercial way back when Gatorade still came in glass bottles. Anybody remember that? Yeah, 1991, some of these teenagers are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, some, some people, you know, that, that have come up in this generation, that they still have a depraved mind and think LeBron James is the goat, but he's not. So uh, we'll pray for you. But I wanted to be like Mike. In fact, there was a commercial, the Gatorade commercial, that wrote a song. Do y'all remember this? Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream. It's how I move. I dream I groove like Mike. Oh, I want to be like Mike, like Mike. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Four people in here were like. <laughs> and everybody else was going, just stop. <laughs> just like we get it, okay? Like we get it. Whether it's Michael Jordan or whatever it is, there's a truth about each and every one of us. And it's this, you emulate what you worship. You emulate what you worship. You strive to be like the thing that you hold, you revere, the thing you hold dear. You, ah, man, I want to be like that, right? Whether you're watching Karate Kid and you start karate chopping stuff, 
Or Michael Jordan, you start trying to slam dunk the basketball. It doesn't matter if you, if you emulate something, you're, you're kind of worshiping it. Or you could say like this, you idolize what, you, what is your idol. You idolize it. And this is scripture. So let's, let's look real quick. Psalms 115, four through eight. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not spell, smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. There's a thing about us. We are made to worship. We're created to worship, and we're created to worship in such a way that we begin to emulate. We begin to reflect. As, some, as Greg Bill said, we resemble what we revere. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Galatians, I mean, Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were created to worship. We were created to revere God in such a way that we reflect him. We were created in, in such a way that we would emulate Christ, but sin entered the world. It marred that image. And ever since then, we've been trying to emulate and act like and idolize other things. This is why Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 would say, hey, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He said, look, this is where it is now. Now you've got to take your life now that you know Christ, all these things, Romans 1 through 11, then he gets to 12. He's like, look, all of this, therefore, put your bodies on the altar. Live a life of sacrifice. That your life would be a smelling aroma that pleases God. That you would say, I'm all in. He is Lord of my life. And so worship this morning was great. I loved it. I could hear you guys singing behind me. And I love corporate worship, and I love singing songs that exalt Jesus Christ because we come in together in corporate worship to do that, to, to spur one another on in faith and good works, and we sing songs of praise that elevate Christ in our hearts. And sometimes we're singing songs that are prayers together. But worship, worship is far greater than this morning. Worship is what happens every moment of our lives. That's why verse 2, Romans chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Here's what Paul said. Hey, transform. Don't, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't emulate the things of this world. Don't idolize the things of this world. Don't have idols that you, that you revere, but put your body, your life on the altar. And B, get this, Christ-like. So here's the key verse. I want you to go ahead and see it. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the second part. So 26B, right? And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. I love that. There was something so different about the church in Antioch that they weren't called disciples. They weren't called people of the way. They were called Christians. They're Christ-like. They're little Christ. There's something different about them. You see, the term in that day was probably derogatory. Oh, those Christians. Oh, those are, those are Christians. It was a term of derision. Like it, in those days, it was, not, it was not something to be 
said it in a nice way, but they took it on. They're like, yeah, you can call us that. Absolutely. Absolutely, you can call us that. Hey, in case you haven't noticed, the term Christian is starting to become derogatory again. Have you noticed that the culture is now beginning to turn into, oh, they're Christians. Oh, they, they think this, they do this, they act like this. See, the term today has turned more derogatory because we live in a post-Christian nation, in a post-Christian world. And this is because we live in a world and in a nation, get this, that values tolerance over repentance. We live in a world and a nation that values tolerance over repentance. And when the culture and the nation and the world that we live in elevates tolerance over repentance, it works its way into the church where the church says, oh, we should be tolerant. We should, we should elevate tolerance over repentance. And you begin to see a Western church culture that no longer values repentance. And the term Christian only describes an ideology of belief rather than an identity of emulation. Let me say this another way. People today are not so much called Christian because they act like Christ, but because they hold a certain set of beliefs. So, so you, oh, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I was raised in church. Yeah, I believe that. I know, yeah, I've heard all about Jesus. I sat in there. I saw the felt boards. I did VBS. I said yes to it multiple times, right? I said yes to VBS multiple times. No, not funny. Okay, so, you know, I, I did all these things. I'm a Christian. Is that because you believe something or is that because you worship God? Is it because he has become Lord of your life and you've laid your body on the altar and you said, I want my life to be a pleasing aroma of worship where, where I become more Christ-like as he changes me, while, while he conforms me into his very own image, while I'm being transformed. I'm not, I'm not looking like the pattern of this world anymore but I'm beginning to get back to what I was created for in the likeness of God. So today, we come across a church that was first called Christians. Let's be a church called Christian. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We worship you today. God, worship is far deeper than words. It is our lives that we lay before you. And so right now, I pray for this church that we would be a church of Christians, not because we believe something, but because we worship you, and that our lives emulate you, our lives resemble you, reflect you, your glory into a world that desperately needs to know you. Father, I come to you today and I pray that your word would speak, that your word would pierce our hearts, that your spirit would convict us today where we've elevated tolerance of sin in our life and we push down repentance in our life. God, call us to be a people of repentance, a people who long to be in your presence, who long to worship you. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice in Christ's name. Amen. First thing I need to see is a Christian church emulates Christ by elevating scripture over experience. Elevate scripture over experience. So we're going to pick up in chapter 11, verse 1. It's going to sound really familiar to two weeks ago because a lot of it is repeated. So here we go. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. That sounds like a horrible party, doesn't it? I don't want to go to that one. Now I'll pass. I'm staying home tonight. 
Verse 3, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which uh, we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he declared to, me, to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Let me pause right there. So he's just reiterating the experience. Here's the experience that took place. Peter says, look, I'm gonna go in order. This is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened. And he gets to this point, and he says, look, and then I was in the middle of my sermon. I didn't, get to, I didn't get to the good part. Didn't even get to the end. The spirit fell just like it fell on us. Now, Peter has been given the keys to the kingdom. Whatever he looses on earth is loosed in heaven. And the keys to the kingdom, you've seen the spirit fall on the Jews in Acts chapter two. You've seen it fall on Samaria. And now you've seen the spirit fall on the Gentile church. And so God is unlocking his church. Okay, verse 16. Experience scripture. And I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he quotes Acts 1.5. If then God gave the same gifts to, to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. God grants repentance. It is a gift. It's the beautiful gift of God to all who will call on his name. So here's what's happening. Peter hangs out with these uncircumcised people, these Gentiles, as, as would be in their terms, these sinners. He's hanging out with these sinners. And the mother church back in Jerusalem, the church made full of Jewish believers, they get word of this and they're like, hey man, hey man, what are you, what are you doing? We don't, we don't associate with Gentiles. We don't hang out with sinners. We don't, we don't eat with them. We don't do these things. What have you been doing? You're not fitting the pattern of what we call Christian, or in that time, the way. You're not following the pattern that we think you should follow. And he says, well, let me just tell you my experience, and then let me elevate scripture. So the experience is, is viewed through the lens of scripture. You see, as Christians who emulate Christ and who live a life of worship, our main focus should be salvation of the lost for the glory of God. That should be our focus. And oftentimes our focus comes off of the salvation of the nations and on the function of the people. Well, you're not functioning the way I want you to function. 
You're not acting the way I want you to act. You're not doing what we do. You're outside of what's our comfort, comfortable Christianity. You've stepped outside that bubble, and we just don't know if you're doing what's right. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way for his church. We will do everything short of sin to say, see people saved. We'll do everything short of sin to see people saved. We want to see salvation come to the nations. So as they're coming to this point, they become a people, a church in Jerusalem that is more inwardly focused, not outwardly focused. And an inwardly focused church is a me-focused church. Oh, you don't look like me. You don't act like me. You don't talk like me. You don't sing songs like me. You don't dress like me. You must not be in with me. And when the church becomes so inwardly focused, it forgets what God has called us to do, and that's focus on salvation to the nations. Verse 1, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Now, these people are believers. These Jewish believers, they've got some theology, but they've got a wrong missiology. Their mission is off. And see, this is what happens. They believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Oh, yeah, we believe that. Yeah, we, we believe that. You're in if you believe that. They understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophets. Yeah, we believe that. Yep. We believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Yeah, we believe that. But here's what they didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was for everyone who calls on his name. No, no, he does, he's, not for, he's not for that person because that person looks way different than us. That person doesn't fit into our mold. That person doesn't fit into our church. It doesn't look like us, doesn't hang out with us, doesn't dress like us. I, I'm, I don't know about that person. They had a wrong missiology. But they didn't understand that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. So you have the law as you've read through some of the Old Testament. If you're doing the, the Bible reading plan with us, you got a whole lot of laws there for a while. And you're like, what in the world? Do we have to do all this? No, we don't have to do this. You've got ceremonial laws. You've got civil laws. You've got moral laws. Those are all in there in the law. And so Jesus fulfills all these laws, the civil law. These were the laws that govern the people of God to make them look different than the other nations. But in Christ, there's a new people. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. People from all tribes and languages and tongues are brought into one nation. Ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Christ because there are no more sacrifices to be made. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 would say this, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, Christ came into the world and he said this, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Christ's body is the perfect sacrifice of all sacrifices. Therefore, no more ceremonial sacrifices need to be made for the forgiveness of sin. So he's fulfilled that. The Jewish believers here, they didn't quite understand this. They didn't even understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the moral law that we're still held to, but we're held to it through Christ because it is his righteousness, not our good deeds that make us right before God. The moral law. Let me read these verses to you. You might want to jot these down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Here's where the church needs to emphasize scripture over experience because our experiences might all be different in this room but scripture leads us in the direction of faith. Scripture leads us in the direction of faith. Who am I to stand in the way of what God's doing? This is what God's word says. That's how Peter answers them. So a Christ-like church is a church that emphasizes faith over religious function. It's a church that emphasizes faith over religious function. Do you emphasize faith in your walk with Christ or do you emphasize religious function? This is what I do. This is why I'm good. This is why you're not good. Or do you emphasize faith? Oh, if you would just have faith, if you would just put yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, you would see that he would begin to transform your mind, transform you into his very image, that he would begin to do a work in you that you can't do on your own because your righteousness according to the law is worthless. I, I want you to understand that what we think is good about us is worthless. It's as filthy rags apart from Jesus Christ. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. So here's what happens. The Spirit falls and the Spirit is falling on the Gentiles. They're being saved but the Spirit is also speaking to Peter. I remembered the word of the Lord. Now, Jesus told us what the ministry of the Spirit would be back in John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. This is what Jesus said when he referenced the Holy Spirit. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Spirit is bringing to Peter's memory all that Jesus has said. Oh, I, I remember the word of the Lord. He says, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Peace is knowing the word of God and being able to interpret your experiences based on the word of God, not based on experience alone. He goes on in John 16, seven and nine, says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I've said a whole lot here, and I want you to understand this. Our experiences are never an authority over Scripture. But that's what I feel. But that's, what, that's what I have a peace with. And, and, and someone who says, well, I prayed about it, and God gave me a peace about it. If you're in sin, God did not give you a peace about it. He didn't. You've just made that up to make yourself feel better about it. So there's two things I want you to understand. Experience is never an authority over Scripture. And number two, the Spirit never excuses sin but convicts. And so, if you are a Christian by what you believe and not by who you emulate, then you might not be, you might not be led by the Spirit because the Spirit will convict you of sin in your life and you will elevate repentance over tolerance in your life. 
Does that make sense? So Christian is not just something we all come in here and say, oh, I believe that Jesus was the son of God. I believe that he was the prophet, that the prophets, he fulfilled the prophets. I believe this, just like the Jewish church. No, we also believe that the spirit brings to mind scripture and we are being transformed. And that transformation means that there's repentance in our life. And we come face to face with sin and we say, you know what? I want my life to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but I want it to emulate Christ for his glory and for worship. Because worship is not just singing songs. Worship is surrendering our life to Jesus Christ because he is worthy. Tony Morita says this, I have a quote for you. We must be involved with people. And I added this, people different than us. We have to learn how to live faithfully, sensibly, soberly, wisely, graciously, and winsomely among those who are far from God. We're in a war. And war is never fought by escapism. It requires engagement for the good of those we're engaging. Church, as we think about the church in Jerusalem who was like, I don't think they fit in. I don't know about this. Tell me your experience. And then Peter has to say, well, here's what scripture says. We can't be a church that shrinks back in escapism to a holy huddle and says, no, this is how we do it because this is comfortable. This is what I call Christian. We have to be a church that engages a lost world with worship in our life in such a way that it brings people into the kingdom. And guess what? That's super uncomfortable for us. Am I right? It's super uncomfortable because then I can't just follow religious function. I actually have to live on faith because religious function's easy. Come in on Sunday, sit in my same pew, get out my church clothes, go through the motion, then go back my week. I believe these things, but to live by faith is to emulate Christ in such a way that you're laying your life on the altar and everywhere you go and every conversation you have, people are like, you know what? They're a Christian. Not because they say they believe this, but because I see a life of faith in them. So let's keep reading. Number two, a Christian church emulates Christ by practicing diverse discipleship. Verse 19. Now those who scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in, there it is, Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast hope. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now this gives you a flashback to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. After the stoning of Stephen, there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, 
except the apostles, verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now we get a little insight here. They went about preaching the word to the Jews. They went about preaching the word to the Jews, but then there's these random guys, these rogue Christians that decide, you know what? I think we'll just tell everybody. So they begin to tell the Hellenists as they make it to Antioch. Now, Antioch was a huge city. There was three main cities in the Roman Empire at this time. You had Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Antioch was booming. It had over 500,000 people in its population. It was a city where all the different cultures were coming in. I mean, you had people from Egypt and Asia Minor and Greece and Italy and Mesopotamia. They were all coming in and they were all intermingling. And they were in a city that was just rampant with Greek culture, in Greek worship, where there was temple prostitutions, where there were all kinds of things happening. This is just a filthy city. And even historians will say like the filth runs through the river down towards Rome from Antioch. So this city was awful. This city was sinful. This city was like, what? There's, there's people coming to the Lord in Antioch? That's that's crazy. Barnabas, go check that out and see if that's true. I mean, we just can't believe the fact that there are people coming to the Lord in this gross, sinful city. I mean, how? How in the world? And how in the world would these people be the ones that are first called Christians? Wouldn't you think that the ones that are first called Christians would be the, Ju- the Jerusalem church? The ones that follow all the rules? the ones that have the really awful circumcision party? Like, wouldn't you think that that's the people that they would call Christians? No, the first ones that are called Christians are in a very sinful city. And so there's these two guys, these couple of guys who said, you know what? We're not gonna just tell Jews. We're not gonna just go to the, the synagogues and teach the Jews. We're gonna go to the streets and teach the Greeks, right? Like, that's what they were like, we're, let's go. And so they began to tell them and, it began to spread. They engaged a sinful culture rather than running to escape from it. Church, these men, these rogue men, engaged a sinful culture rather than escaping from it. The church in Antioch were first called Christians because they engaged a sinful culture. They didn't escape from it. They decided, you know what? We're gonna tell everybody about Jesus Christ. In verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. God was with them in their endeavor. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The reports of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This guy, he's an encourager, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He shows up and it says, he saw the grace of God. He showed up to a church in a very sinful city with all different people from all different tribes and races and languages and tongues. And he saw them and he didn't say, you know what? They all look the same. They all dress the same. They all sing the same hymns. They all like this type of music. They all, they all like to sit in pews. They all, no, he said, you know what? You know what I saw? They were, they only had one thing in common. I saw the grace of God. I saw the grace of God. There's something different about these people. They are moved by faith. They're diverse. If you flip over to Acts chapter 13, you'll see how diverse this church was because it gives you the leadership in verse one. Acts 13, one. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod and the, the Tetrarch and Saul. You take these group of men and you've got people from Africa, you've got people from Asia, you've got people from, uh, from, from Mesopotamia, you've got people from all different walks of life who have no cultural 
uh, identities that are similar, they only have the grace of God in common. It's a church. It's a church of people made up from every tribe and language and tongue, just as Jesus has said. And they are diverse. And let me tell you something, church, the local church should be as radically diverse as the local population. When we come in here, we should not all look the same. Please, please, well, let's not all look the same. We should not all talk the same. There should be some of us in here that make others of us squirm uncomfortably. Yeah. You should be like, oh, I love that guy, but man, when he says things, it just makes my skin crawl. It's okay because there's the grace of God that unites us. We should be so diverse. We should not be trying to bring people in and be like, cookie cutter, you need to look like this, act like this, listen to this radio station, right? Because that's the only good radio station. There is no good radio station, heads up. So, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. I better get back to my notes. So, you know, we should be so diverse because there should be something so unifying about us that, that religious function isn't it. It's the grace of God. And for that to happen, we can't retreat into these walls. We have to be rogue Christians who say, you know what? I'm leaving these walls and I'm telling everybody about Jesus. I'm telling everybody. I'm telling everybody, even if they look different than me. And you know what? You're going to have to fight to do that because it does not come natural. It's actually not even how you were raised. I mean, look at, flip over with me to Galatians 2. Actually, it'll be on the screen here. Galatians 2. You're going to have to fight to be diverse. But when Cephas, verse 11, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul writing. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Like, I'm telling you, no one wants to go to this party. So he, he saw them come. Oh, I can't eat with these people anymore because I don't fit in. Like, I don't want to be associated. Ah. So he pulls back. Verse 13. Not only that, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Church, if you begin to pull back and to separate yourself with exclusivism, like this is how Christians, I think, should act, guess what's going to happen with everyone else around you? They're going to follow the same pattern. Oh, maybe we should pull back too. Maybe we shouldn't engage the lost. Maybe we shouldn't go to places that make us feel uncomfortable and eat with sinners and Gentiles. And so it was so bad. Look at this so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. If Barnabas gets led astray, we're all in trouble, right? This is the guy that they send because he's the one that's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's full of encouragement. Bless you. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Listen, 
It's about faith in Christ, not about holding to your law. Christ fulfills the law. Do you want Christ to live in and through you? Church, do you want Christ to live in and through you? The local church has to fight for this diversity because you and I are not justified by what we do and don't do, even though that's how we function. Oh, I'm good because I do this, and they're bad because they do this. We're justified by what Christ has done on our behalf, period. None of us in here are good. None of us. There's not a one of us that holds the law to the nth degree. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's when we begin to justify ourselves by what we do and what others around us do, we forget that God is reaching out to the nations and he's using his church to do it. We are a church that is to be a Christ-like church. So I'm gonna give you this example and we're, we're, we're closing in here. I know I'm out of time. Antioch displays to us that a healthy Christ-like church follows this pattern. Are you ready for this pattern? Let's be this pattern. An evangelistic model. How did it begin? Rogue disciples going to talk to people that were not like them. Church, as you leave this week, be a rogue disciple. Go talk to people that don't look like you. Go tell people about the gospel. Engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelistic model. Number two, a discipleship makeup. Barnabas was like, listen, I need to call some reinforcements, so I'm going to go get Saul of Tarsus, and I'm going to bring him in because this guy knows everything, and we're about to find out because all, all the books he's going to write. This guy, we're going to, the two of us, we're going to meet with the church, and we're going to disciple them for, an, for a solid year. Listen, we're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples of all nations. And to make disciples of all nations takes time and energy. It takes investing in people's lives. Barnabas and Saul were like, look, we're going to invest a solid year. We're going to invest in the people here because this, this people, I see the grace of God. And what happens after they invest in them and disciple them for a year? They're called Christians. These people are Christ-like. They've been taught all that Jesus commanded. And here's the last one, a service mentality. So we need to be a church of evangelistic model, discipleship makeup, and a service mentality. As we get to this part right here, this is the last point. A Christian church emulates Christ in kingdom giving. Here's the service mentality. Now, verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So probably somewhere between A.D. 41 and 54. So the disciples determined everyone, get this part, according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I want you to see this. Unity in the church looks like grace-filled generosity. Unity in the church does not look like we all look the same, act the same, think the same, sing the same. Unity in the church looks like grace-filled generosity. Spirit-filled church will be a grace-giving church. They sent money, all that they could, to help out with the church in Jerusalem with a famine. Now, what church had been really, really critical of them early on? The church that's now getting relief from them. 
Isn't that that a beautiful thing about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is when churches are not me-minded, they're kingdom-minded. So we we need to be a kingdom-minded church that is a service-minded church that we see brothers and sisters that might not gather in this building, but they've gathered all across our community, our county, our state, our country, our world. They're gathered together, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are in desperate need, and so we give to the kingdom so that we can aid in that because we are service-minded. Evangelistic model. Discipleship mindset. Service-minded. I love how the kingdom-minded church puts differences aside, don't you? A kingdom-minded church puts differences aside. They put their preferences aside. A kingdom-minded church puts preferences aside. A kingdom-minded church puts all the non-essentials aside for the glory of God. A kingdom-minded church puts unforgiveness to the side. And they worship they emulate in such a way that they're Christ-like. Let's be a Christ-like church, amen? Let's pray. Father, we do come to you. We thank you for the model of the church in Antioch. We thank you, Father, that you are the one that created that church. You're the one that sent your spirit that fell down on them. Father, we thank you that there were men, the faithful men who went in unnamed and preached the gospel to those who didn't know you. Father, make us faithful disciples just like that. Faithful that as we scatter from these walls today, that we would preach the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. We would have an evangelistic mindset, that we would go, that we would share, that we would engage people that look different than us, that talk different than us, that act different than us, that dress different than us, that we would see your kingdom grow for your glory. Father, that we would lay our lives down on the altar and that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.